Australia Explained, keeping you on top of all things down under. In this episode of Australia Explained, we run through all the news stories you may have missed due to COVID this summer. Hello everyone, my name is Tanya Ragusa. And I'm Vanessa Di Grazia. And welcome back to Australia Explained. We are back for 2022. Yes, happy about it too. Very. Um, we'll start off by acknowledging that we are recording this on Wurundjeri land and we're here not long before Invasion Day. It's next week, I believe. Oh, around, what's the or date? the week here? after? Yeah. I lose track of time in January. I'm sure I'm Definitely. not the only one. Um and we, I just wanted to have a quick note on the 26th of Jan that usually we do try to stay pretty neutral on the pod show, both perspectives, which we definitely have on this issue. Um, but as I said, it's definitely invasion day in our eyes. And it made me think of this Desmond Tutu quote that was saying, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you've chosen the side of an, opp- of the oppressor. And it's kind of just shedding light that there's being neutral and then there's being too neutral, that it's actually accepting the behaviour and accepting the status quo. So maybe think about some of the discussions you're having with your friends leading up to January 26th. Are you laying low in the group chat when they're discussing the plans? Do you intend to join them in whatever celebrations they may be planning? And just um, analyse your own actions leading up to the date. Mm -hmm. Sure. So... We're back. New We're year. back. <laughs> and, you know, fair to say 2022 was already a bit of a Yeah, we both started one. the year with COVID, Yes, which was we fun. both had COVID, which has dominated the news cycle at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many people have tuned out of the news. I, knew, I know I have, especially mm-hmm. the past couple of days because it's just been so intense. And, you know, who can blame us? So when we first started the pod as well, people were eager – to find out what was happening in the world. People wanted to know what was happening in Australia. And now we don't want to know. Yeah, it's the opposite problem. It's the opposite. We're like, don't, I'm turning off my phone. I'm turning off the TV. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah, and even people like me and you that have always been interested in the news, I've definitely tuned out also. And it's because it is so repetitive. Um, Of course, COVID information is important. We need access to it. Definitely no disagreement there. But it's really pushed onto us and a lot of it's really unnecessary. Pretty much all the major news outlets still put out paid ads every single day on state COVID case numbers, Mm. which is just a bit ridiculous. I think if anyone's seeking the information, they can go looking for it. And it's really hard when we're being bombarded with these numbers and this information, etc. Yeah, so for this episode, what better way to start off coming back from our break by giving the listeners the top news stories from the summer that you probably haven't heard about that don't relate to COVID or Novak Djokovic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. And just because COVID's going on, it doesn't mean that other things aren't happening. They definitely are. They're just not being publicized. So we're going to go through a few news stories for you. And trust me, these were actually really hard to find. Which just proves our point. Exactly. I had to scour so many news sites to find stories of substance that weren't about COVID. So I hope you appreciate the efforts. No, I do. Thank you for writing this one. We've got three stories for you today. I gave you a feel good story, a feel okay story, and we end with a not so good, not so happy story, but pretty important either way. Yeah. <laughs> so enjoy the landslide, everybody. 
Okay, our first headline, which you may not have heard about, was that Australia has slashed the cost for sponsoring asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Let's start with our feel-good story. So, sorry to mention Djokovic, but this actually relates to asylum seekers because this issue was given a bit of attention this week when Novak Djokovic was held for a couple of days detention in Melbourne's Park Hotel. And there were a lot of cries about poor Djokovic having to camp up in this hotel in Melbourne. Um, and these cries seemed a bit laughable, but an Iranian asylum seeker named Mehdi put out a tweet about the media attention surrounding Djokovic being in the Park Hotel, which is the same hotel that he himself, Mehdi, along with other asylum seekers, have been housed in for years. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read out that directly. Um, he said that there's disappointment. Everyone wants to ask me about Novak, what the hotel is like for him, but they don't ask about us. We've been locked up in this place for months, for years. I've never seen so many cameras, so much attention. I hope Novak Djokovic learns about our situation here, and I hope he speaks about it. Mm, it's a pretty harrowing compa- comparison. But let's go back to the good news yes, for a second. Yes, it's a good news story. <laughs> the reason why we're talking about this is, um, so if you're not across Australia's method of dealing with asylum seekers, we've covered it in two of our early episodes, which you can go and check out. We'll leave a link in our bio for them. We suggest you pause and have a listen to those first. Mm-hmm. But if you're feeling lazy, to sum it up, Australia's approach to asylum seekers in a couple of adjectives is a bit cruel and a bit unsympathetic. You know, we don't like to let them in. It's really difficult in this country to enter as an asylum seeker. Yep, so difficult, in fact, that if you arrive by boat in Australia, you will never achieve permanent resettlement. That's just the rule. Mm -hmm. It's been in for a couple years now. Even if you're a genuine refugee. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And a lot of the time, community groups and, you know, refugee organisations end up having to sponsor the applications of asylum seekers because the applications are so lengthy and so expensive, like an average of $90,000 kind of expensive, which I don't know about (laughs) asylum seekers, but I don't even have that money. (laughs) I know it's crazy considering that asylum seekers are obviously far more likely to be enduring serious financial hardship. I mean, if we can't pull 90K, where are they supposed to pull 90K? And that goes back to my point. So many of them arrive by boat because they don't have the money (laughs) to buy a plane ticket, but by arriving by boat, they'll never achieve permanent resettlement. So it's just a catch-22 in a way. Yeah, a horrible cycle, Um, which is why we were happy to read that the Australian government has made some changes. So firstly, they've slashed the cost of visas by 60%, which is really great because as we said, it's $90,000 on average. (laughs) That's a big, big change. The second thing they've done is they've changed the rules around family visas. So instead of having to pay for each individual person, which in families of lots of kids can end up being astronomical, there's only one price per family, which makes a lot more sense and is a lot more affordable. Mm -hmm. And this allows that the community groups who sponsor a lot of these visa applications to help get a lot more humans to find safety in Australia. Yeah, and on top of that, they've also raised the cap on how many people can actually resettle in Australia now. So they used to allow, the government used to allow 750 people, but they've now increased that to 1,900, which is more than half. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're definitely not saying this is, you know, the best policy (laughs) of all time and all our refugee problems are fixed now because they definitely are not. If anything, Novak Djokovic has highlighted how difficult it is to enter Mm -hmm. Australia 
But this is a huge step in allowing more vulnerable people to come into our country. Yeah, for sure. So actually going to say good on the Morrison government for this one. It is a positive change, um, even though there's a lot to go. And I wondered if this had anything to do with the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan, because obviously that had so much media attention. It led to a lot of sympathy for the plight of refugees, and it really injected a sense of humanity back into this cause, back into this conversation. But do you think it's relevant? I think so. I think it definitely helped to change the narrative of asylum seekers as, you know, nasty boat people in quotation marks who just come to steal our job and steal our resources to people who are genuinely trying to flee persecution, which has always been the definition of an asylum seeker. But we know sometimes that politicians and mainstream news companies can really misconstrue that according to, you know, public debate and whatnot. So I do think Afghanistan has definitely been relevant here. Mm, I think it would be hard to push onto that demonised asylum seeker rhetoric when we saw those videos of people grabbing onto plane wings and these really Mm -hmm. extreme methods of trying to find safety. So I think it definitely was related. Glad this change has come around. Mm -hmm. Okay, our next headline, which we are discussing, is that the Indigenous Voice to Parliament plan has been revealed after years of lobbying, but the Labor Party gives it a fail. Mm -hmm. So let's break this one down. I want to start with the headline. I find it pretty funny when headlines say Labor gives it a fail or Liberal strongly disagrees. I mean... It's politics. It's a bipartisan (laughs) parliament. You know, there's two parties. (laughs) Yeah, they're rivals. Of course, they're going to disagree. But at the same time, even that thought that I'm having um, maybe leans into how sad it is that we don't expect political parties to agree anymore, Mm -hmm. even if it is for the better of our own country. Yeah, they probably agree on a lot more things than we give them credit for. Um, But it's the controversial issues and the major ones we hear about that they so constantly are divided on. And so that gives us the idea that they're constantly Mm. warring, but they're not. They genuinely do agree on some of the major policy They probably agree on the things that are more mundane to the average citizen that we don't hear about so much. Um, Back to the headline. So the lobbying around an Indigenous voice is in regards to having a constitutionally enshrined voice in Parliament. So this is an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice in Parliament all the time enshrined in the Constitution. Um, This is kind of the bare minimum in decision-making. To compare this to New Zealand, they have had such a structure in their government since 1867. And that's just a stark reminder on how much better New Zealand is than Australia at valuing the honour of their Mm -hmm. history and their cultural history as well. So this lobbying has been going on within Australian society forever, pretty much since the invasion, but officially in Parliament for the last 18 months. So the Liberal Party have just come out with their plan to put it into practice. So let's break it down. Yes. So their plan consists of three different levels, just like we have three levels of government. So there will be a local level, a regional level, and an overarching national voice. So instead of being divided up into states, this regional level will be with 35 regions across the country. And there will be a voice from each of those regions yes. who come together and consult and chat about mm-hmm. key issues, which is at first really heartening to see because, of course, the states have little 
cultural historical meaning to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. They're just arbitrary lines that mm-hmm. we've drawn up on a map when we know how diverse their popu- their, the First Nations communities are and how many nations and, and countries we have within Australia. Um, but the national body will take members roughly equally from each of the states, mm-hmm. which sort of <laughs> reverses the whole point of the idea anyway. Yeah, it's like you recognise that the states are pointless in this regard and then you use them anyway. <laughs> A little bit confusing. Um, but if you're wondering how this whole Indigenous voice thing will actually work, so any laws and decisions that are said to significantly affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are legally required to go through a consultation process with the Indigenous voice members at local, regional and national levels. The key word here is consult. We want to stress this change. Although a step in the right direction absolutely does not give any definitive power to Indigenous voice. Consultation is is important, of course, and we're not trying to play that down. But in the end, the decision is still 100% made by our elected ministers. And it kind of reminds me of how, you know, you go to your friends for advice and you listen to their advice, but you never take it on. Yeah. Sort of like the parliament and the indigenous voices. We can listen, the parliament can listen to them, but they're not obliged to put into practice everything that they're saying. Mm -hmm. And additionally, like I mentioned, it's only for laws and changes that directly affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So examples of this might be native title claims, um, if they want to construct new mines in sacred areas, um, adjustments to Aboriginal health policy. It's not in regard to general national policy or anything like that. So it's still very specific. It's like a segregated kind of consultation. Which sort of diminishes the notion that a lot of the decision-making in Australia inadvertently affects Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, whether that's directly or indirectly, purposely or purposely or not. A lot of the key decisions we make will affect communities and and people um, from First Nations groups. Yeah, exactly. And that's one big criticism, um, that it doesn't really have enough power in those senses. Um, Another criticism is that although this new system is definitely on the table, it's being discussed, it's being publicised, it's not going to be implemented until at least after the election. So there's no date for it, but it's definitely not going to be in 2022. And it's also not going to be shrined into the constitution. And that makes it even more weak. So it's not making Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices fundamental in the structure of our government. You know, it's a program. It's a body. And government bodies and programs come and go with every election, sometimes with every budget. Yeah, it's definitely not making it a concrete arm of our government like they have in New Zealand. And it's not really fulfilling the recommendations of the Uluru Statement of the Heart to give such space to such a voice. Mm. Which is a shame, but it's still a start. And with all of this being released before this year's election, we can pretty much bet that Labor's going to come out with an alternative to the plan. Hopefully one that does answer these issues of making it constitutional and a real part of our government processes. Okay, last and definitely least headline, (laughs) as in least happy. Yes. So this headline says, New South Wales approves Morrison government's $600 million Kurikuri gas-fired power plant. 
Anybody who listened to our budget recap from 2021 knew this one was coming. Morrison was hitting hard with this gas-led recovery idea. Yes, and to reiterate, the lack of logic in this affinity for gas, instead of simply changing our energy systems to a completely sustainable alternative, the government has decided to use gas because it's a little bit more sustainable. Yeah, a little bit (laughs) less worse than the fossil fuels we we already use. So let's use a fossil fuel that's kind of not that bad. Yeah. Uh, But let's not invest in green power in the Mm -hmm. way of the future. And a lot of people are arguing this has a lot to do with Morrison's uh, private interests and corporate interests and, you know, there's a little bit of a conflict of interest there. Mm -hmm. Now, this story in particular regards the Hunter region, which is just north of Sydney. The government put out calls to the private sector last year, basically saying, please, please, please build a gas power station in the Hunter region. We will give you $600 million to do so. (laughs) Yes, they were begging. And luckily for them, a company stepped forward to build it. Not so luckily for us. Um, This plan is intended to increase like our general energy supply in the face of waning down a big coal station that's also in the region. So this has all been approved. Plans are drawn. Sites have been picked. The government has gone tick, tick, tick on their checklist. But there are some big questions around whether this plant is actually worth building. Yeah, so I did some digging. And even if you are a big gas energy fan and you don't agree with our contention that simply going to renewable energy would make much more sense, um, some of the analysis on this particular plant is very iffy. So main thing, the plant is going to be used for on-demand energy. Essentially, when there's no energy from other sources, they'll use this as a backup. And there's a big catch that comes with this. They're estimating that this plant will only be in use for around 2% of the year. 2%. 2% (laughs) for a backup plant. So building a whole power station and having to run it for every day of the year so it can only be used for 2% of them. Look, I'm an English teacher. <laughs> Maths is not my strong suit, but that really does not add up. No, it really doesn't. So it's not a surprise that environmental groups have been very confused on why this project, which is projected to actually lose money every year, is being funded. And not even environmental groups, other lobbying groups are also a bit confused on why this particular project is so adored. Once again, we are in a... Election year. Mm-hmm. We don't know what election promises Morrison has up his sleeve, especially in the Hunter region. Are there, does he have corporate interests there? Does he want to win over, um, the public in that area by giving them jobs and mm-hmm. giving them something exciting to look forward to? We have to start answering, thinking about these questions and answer, answering these questions because election years always bring up these little sneaky projects <laughs> that we need to be aware of. Um, on top of this, the plant is required to have a zero net emissions plan. Um, in case you're not on top of that, zero net emissions means for every tonne of carbon that is released into the atmosphere, um, a tonne of carbon is taken out. Taken out. So mm-hmm. we basically balance um, our emissions. You um, may have seen this on your flight. Um, if you've booked a flight, they give you an option to make it zero emissions. So basically they rebate your emissions by doing good things for the environment. Um, to balance out all the bad things you did by flying the plane. Oh, I didn't know that one. You're travelling more than I am at the moment. <laughs> um, but this gas plant 
actually doesn't have to implement this zero net emissions mm-hmm. They plan. just need the plan. They just need it, but they don't actually have to implement it. So it's very fishy. Yeah, just like this corporate jargon of think about how much money they're going to spend making the plan and they don't even have to use the plan. <laughs> it's like regu- It's like regulatory just yep. ticking off boxes. Mm-hmm. What's the point of having these rules if you're not going to implement them and, and enforce them? Yeah, agreed. Alright, so those are our three headlines which you may have missed over the summer. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for our recommendations. So Vanessa, what have you got for me and our listeners today? The first one for 2022. Woohoo! Now, I would label this one as slightly mundane, but actually kind of interesting and it's boringness. It's a website called Government News and they report on kind of local or low-level state government news. And I came across it while researching this, but it's actually kind of interesting to see the little things that local governments are doing. For example, one story that fascinated me is that on the Gold Coast, they're starting to introduce on-demand public transport that you can actually order to your house. Oh. Yeah, so interesting. Really interesting. <laughs> right, you know, a decision we would not have heard about otherwise. Exactly. I like that one. Thanks for that. My recommendation is an ABC article story um, that has a few of the health stories which you may have missed. Obviously, COVID has been the biggest health story for the past two years, but there are a lot of changes happening within the health sector. There was a vaccine introduced for malaria, which brings up this whole vaccine debate again and how it's being developed, Um, a drug for Alzheimer's. There are a lot of different stories, particularly the cosmetic surgery industry is getting reviewed and Mm -hmm. potentially overhauled due to some dodgy practices that are leaving patients in harm. So Mm -hmm. um, we'll leave those links in the show notes for you to check up and catch up on some of the news which you may have missed. Otherwise, that's it from us today. Thanks for listening and joining us in 2022. We can't wait to see what the year has and and what stories we can unpack this Mm -hmm. year. Um, Let us know what you think about this episode as per usual. We're always interested to hear your thoughts. And and if you've heard any stories that we haven't mentioned today, feel free to DM us on Instagram and have a chat with us. Yeah, we'd love to hear some more and maybe share some more on our Instagram because you don't realise that you haven't heard anything until you really reflect and think, What's happened in the country apart from COVID in the past six months? And there are a few Instagram accounts such as Zfeed, um, The Daily Oz. Um, They usually do a post about some of the news you may have missed or feel-good news stories that you may not have read about. So we just want to join that trend of giving you a more wider picture of what's happening in Australia at the moment. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, follow us for more short, sweet and simple Aussie content on Instagram and TikTok at Australia Explained Pod. All the info that we talked about today is in the show notes for you to check out. We will see you in two weeks' time. Bye. Bye.